0: Well, welcome, everybody, to our second episode um, of Future Characteristics of the Church. And today we've got a great one for you. I think they're all going to be great, but I'm particularly excited about this one. Um, And we've got two wonderful special guests. So I've got my co-host here, Jeff Christofferson. We could call this the j the jc squared podcast um but you wouldn't know what that means so we're going to call it the future characteristics of the church Um, but we're i just want to welcome everyone in from wherever you are Um, for those who'll be listening later also welcome this is our second session as we look through and discuss second of six uh, discuss what characteristics does the church need to start moving forward moving towards with urgency so that we can be the church that God has called us to be in this next age. So, Jeff, what are we talking about today? What well, What is our focus today?
1: Yeah, Jesse, this is a I think a really a significant one. And um, and as you said, all of these are they're not new ideas. They're not like future things we got to start thinking about. They're actually ancient things that we need to recover, aren't they? And um, and today we're talking about having a different family tree when we begin to look at our our um our our our, the children and the grandchildren that we have as a church uh we we need to make a shift from drafting free agents to developing disciple makers Um, I think ever since the 1980s, I would date it that um, when the church growth movement met the church planting movement and we came up with an entrepreneurial church launching baby, um, we've come up with this idea that churches are going to be started by kind of just recruiting this ubermensch, this five-tool church planter that is entrepreneurial and he's just about everything that you're looking for in the dreamy church growth person uh, guy and um and in in that picture i think we've come to understand that we're at it, it we're, we're kind of in the death throes of it um we're we're looking and we'll, we'll for reasons that we will discuss uh realizing that we're actually not gaining ground we're actually giving up ground by pursuing this idea that we've been on and so Today, we're going to be talking about what is it like for a church to recover its mandate as developing disciple makers, as its primary reason to be. And uh, and so today, uh, I'll start by introducing Ed Kang. Um, Ed is a senior pastor at Grace Point Church out of Berkeley, California, that that plants churches from that church all over America and America. Um, and I think you're in, he's in Boston right now, scoping out some possibilities for church planting. And I got to know Ed. Um, to I was, I was asked to speak at a staff meeting that he was having. And I was really expecting a, a group of people around a boardroom table. <laughs> Usually I knew it was a large church. But uh, uh, I, at that time, that was, I think, 2015, I was actually speaking to over a thousand people. And, uh, and so they had staff, uh, they had this idea of co vocationalism before we even had a term for it. And, um, and they've been deploying church planting teams that they had seen uh, come to faith. In fact, it'll tell you some of the story, but it has this anomaly that makes it an outlier from from every other church that I know of, where 75% of their church came to faith in their church. And uh, and so they are developing uh, church planning teams and sending them around the country and the world. And so we're li- really looking forward to hearing from Ed. And uh, why don't you introduce our other guest, Jesse?
0: Yeah. So it is my honor and privilege to introduce Tammy Dunahoo, who is uh, a vice president in Foursquare denomination, and she is a hero in my life and my world. And one of the reasons that I'm in Foursquare, she's one of the couple people who recruited me into the denomination by just talking about some of these ideas. And it made me, it made me come alive in a lot of ways. And so Tammy um, has been the general supervisor for Foursquare Denomination, um, which is a role above all of the supervisors um, and then now serves as a, a vice president. So um, she's one of the highest positioned women in denominational leadership in the United States. And this is a passion of hers. So I'm really looking forward to, to Tammy sharing what uh, her experience and then her research, cause she's actually doing her dissertation on this and will bring some insights um, from the last few years as she's been working and finalizing that uh, research there. So uh, Tammy, thank you so much for being here. I wanna just start with you. Um, we're gonna define some terms, right? Uh, so just beginning, like what is the difference in your mind between church planting uh, from drafting free agents versus developing your disciple making teams?
2: Thanks, Jesse, and thanks to both of you for this opportunity. I love this subject. Uh, you hit it. The biggest difference to me is how we're thinking about the end goal. Uh, if our end goal is planting churches, then it's natural that we would think of drafting the best of the best, the top 10% of talent. But if our, end, if our goal really is to grow big people, then church planting is the outgrowth of the process we were mandated Mm -hmm. by jesus to do in the first place so my question is do we use people to grow the church or do we use the church to grow the people and i believe jesus idea was that we use the church to grow the people and when you grow people and you develop them as leaders in the world then we trust God to send them, and he likes church planting. So Jesus is really good about sending people to plant churches. But it's the why that we do this that really determines that.
1: You know, that's it's amazing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great start, uh, Tammy. I, I, if, if we're starting there, I'm looking forward to the rest of this conversation because, uh, yeah, I've had, I don't think I've ever heard it uh, put exactly that way. And that is a great way for us to begin to consider this. Uh, Ed, what, what, what do you think about? So, Ed, you're on a you're on a campus model. Uh, you're you're planting on universities and some of the toughest toughest universities in terms of cultural you, uh, hard ground. Um, what would you say? How would you define the differences between the two d- drafting free agents and developing disciple makers? Um, you
3: know, I, I, I'm I'm surprised um, that we use almost the exact same phrasing, Tammy. Um, I tell all of our church planters hey, I know, I know you're anxious to grow your church, but don't use your staff to grow your church. Use ministry as a context to grow your people. And I say that over and over again. Um, the difference, I, you know, I don't, it's, it's odd because I don't know the other. I've never thought of recruiting anybody. All I know is what we've been doing. And it seems to me an odd thing that a church would have to find the leaders outside because that means something went wrong, and um, I think that uh you're supposed to go and witness to the lost, uh get them saved, uh lead them through um, discipleship, and as they grow, uh, the next step is to lead out and and i I think the local church is the plan for reaching the lost and uh completing the great commission and so uh, for me it 's never been about um, church planting as an end goal or increasing um, you know our our footprint as a as a movement it's always been about looking at the guys that uh, I 've loved since they were eighteen and um, like what are you doing here still? You know you should be out there uh, like what's the next step and And even when we get on, uh, we don't plan for a big launch service. Um, it's just sort of you, you, you convert the lost and you raise them up to be kingdom workers. And if they have, you know, any leadership or vision to actually lead, then, then they're church plant leaders. But everybody is uh, a church planter. It's just, you know, when is it? And that's sort of the spirit in our church, too. It's like, OK, well, I'm not going to be here forever. Me and my friends, we're going to go and plant a church. And that's just a very common experience in our church.
1: You think Ed? Um, you kind of backed into ministry. I'll say that differently. Your 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 uh, sort of entrance into ministry was different than most. Um, you were an attorney. Um, your wife's an engineer. You um, you were sort of taking a a pro temp kind of role in a in a traditionally Korean church and. Um, and and uh you didn't sort of come through the youth pastor pastor seminary pipe you uh you came at this from a, an entirely different way. do you think that um, is why you see things differently perhaps than maybe most pastors might
3: um yeah you know i i th- i think um I think the that has a lot to do with it the fact that that was my experience and it was just sort of normal because we're a we were a Korean-speaking collegiate church, and I was one of the first ones to start in English-speaking, and then that really shifted to Pan-Asian, and then now we're, you know, not Asian. Well, we're still about 50% Asian, I think, in terms of the, the student count. Um, I think also it's because it was in the collegiate context. I mean, we really, really believed in the local church, and so we would get into this tension with crew or inner varsity, uh, but but we're, we're, a, we're a collegiate, local church-based campus ministry, and so we don't have a lot of funds. I mean, when I finally, um, so, so I became a, a full-time minister, simply, like I never heard a call from, like I, I, I've, I probably would be disqualified for ordination in some denominations because you need to have like a story of a call. Uh, my story of a call is, man, there's a lot to do and, there's a lot of younger guys. And if I leave this desk, like somebody else can represent Bechtel corporation and um, nobody else can do what I'm doing with. And so it was just simply Hmm. like, how much am I going to work? How little am I going to work? I'm not, I'm not going to work at all. Uh, My wife supported me because my first salary was $200 a month. So, um, but you know, with collegiate ministry and whenever I get a chance, I want to, I want to like sell collegiate ministry. Like you wait four years and, and you start to get the, the highest ownership group ever when they graduate and get their jobs, that like they own the church. And so, um, but yeah, so that, so that was the only thing we knew. And I guess because we're sort of off the beaten path in Berkeley, I just didn't know that people did it in any other way, I guess.
1: Well, good, that's good.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think the interesting thing there that um, that I just want to capture is just the transient nature of college you know, lending itself to the transient nature of being developed and going right. I mean, you know, there's the traditional student, and we all make fun of them, even though we all kind of are that person.
3: <laughs> in some well, you way. know, actually, um, we've experienced the exact opposite. Our people stay uh, upwards of ninety percent, and they will turn down PhD uh, offers from better schools, better jobs. Um, chemical engineering grads who can't find any jobs uh, uh, in that field in the Bay Area because, you know, liberals don't allow any chemical plants. So um, they'll just do anything to stay. Because one of the things that we discovered was um, in college, you live with very little, like you can be wealthy or poor, you live in a 12 by 12 dorm room. And I think they discovered that if we have like-minded friends, with a vision together, that's all I need to be happy. Um, and so, they actually pledge to stay together. And I think the sort of transient nature—I, you know, I used to call it like the airport lobby, uh, kind of uh, terminal. Like you, you strike up a conversation, you keep it light because your flight might be called. Uh, so we we really preach um, like lifelong covenantal relationship. Um, And to to some extent, I mean, it's not absolute, obviously. Um, We've experienced college students really willing to live that out. So our church planters aren't young. Our church planters tend to be in their 30s, which, you know, which is, I don't know. I think that's still young. But um, like we're planning to send out a bunch in 2021. And and there's one guy that's 29, and that's the youngest it's ever been. So after college, um, they've all stayed, you know. Uh, together and married their friends and um, and and they are friends and uh, so the college students if they have a compelling vision um, are not necessarily transient.
0: That's a beautiful picture, Ed. I, I want to bring Tammy into this and just you know coming from the existing church, existing you know denomination, hundred years old. Um, I know that's young in denominational world, but um, why do you think that the churches fall into this trap then of the idea that they have to uh, draft reagents and recruit in and harvest other people's fields, as opposed to this idea of of developing disciple makers, like um, you know the stories that that we're hearing?
2: I think, Jesse, it came uh, with the era. That we're talking about. So I'm, I'm from that era. Uh, we began in pastoral ministry in 1980. Um, yes, 40 years in pastoral ministry. And that era, the church growth movement, flowing right out of the Jesus movement, uh, was also an era in the United States when success and corporation and leadership, the topic of leadership really rose. And as it did, the church saw that and adopted it. And so there's some prolific leaders that we know in the American church that really influenced leadership in the church. Prior to that, we'd never used the word leader in the church. I'd never heard that. It was only pastor or servant or minister. And so when we started using this leadership culture, we also embraced a lot of the mentality around success And what defines success? Well, if you're going to have a successful business, you went after the star talent. If you're going to grow a large church, you go after the star talent. And there's a lot out there about recruiting the top 10%. The problem with that is it is not a disciple-making culture. And so the focus was so strong on evangelism to grow the church. And there was a very right stream that came out of church growth, that was based in a passion for evangelism. And those of us in denominations that came out of the revivalist movement, uh, there was such a passion for evangelism and the belief that Jesus was coming right now, uh, that that was our main focus. Well, we're 100 years and Jesus hasn't come. And now we have a lot of people who became converts, but we've never discipled. And so then we started with this mentality of the church growth, the corporate and leadership culture and drafting, and it just became our way of life and has been, I think, for about the last 50 years.
0: Yeah, but as as I've been at the the conferences, uh, you know, we go to and and talk at, there used to be tons of these church uh, planter recruiting booths, right? Uh, Just a lot of, a huge uh, proliferation of agencies who were doing that and recruiting. And then in the last few years, it's just, it's just tanked. They're not there. People aren't, people aren't going. And I, if I think about the people that um, I'm connected to that are being discipled, being raised up, I don't hear any of them, you know, dreaming about a church planting agency that they want to go work with. I don't, I don't hear anybody. Yeah. Talking that way at all. So it, you know, that turn in the, the world, the turn in the, the generations I think has brought us to this an interesting moment a, a bit a bit of a of a of a divide of a moment uh, liminal space as is the word in my head for those of yeah. you who follow Alan Hirsch
1: <laughs> and I think that liminal space is providing a you know I think an opportunity for a major uh, transition I'm not sure uh, so, some of us with send Institute have worked with Christ together we're on a we're on a path a while back ago, we're, we were um, coaching 1,600 pastors of churches in um, responding to the uh, the COVID crisis and how their church probably needs to begin to think. And uh, and in that conversation, it, it just became clear to me that um, the, that group of, of churches would have been on the more intuitive end, the more um, trying to Try to try to do something new, try to figure something out. And even with that group, it seemed like 75% roughly were going to um, work hard at getting back to homeostasis as quickly as they could, you know, just boom, just get back to that memory of what was. And, uh, and, if, and I would imagine that sampling would be more like, if you did it the, the churches at large across North America, it'd be more like 90% of churches are looking to get back to what they used to know how to do. And, um, and so let's just talk about the future a little bit um, because I, I am of the view, I think, uh, I think all of you on this call are that that are, that this is not the days following the Spanish flu. This is not the days where Christendom was still King. Um, the, 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 the point of culture that we were in, that we are in now is a place where, um, um, we are taking a break from church. A lot of people, <laughs> um, and, and it was already an idea that was waning in the culture and in the in the hearts of a lot of people even went to church. And so um, what is going to happen if we don't make a big shift um, in, in sort of coming into a normalcy, what's going to happen um, if we continue to say, you know, disciple making is not going to be the priority. We're going to continue just to be attractional. We're going to continue to um, look for leaders that can really attract. Uh, what does what our future look like? Ed, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, you know, I have no idea what the future looks like, obviously. But, um, you know, everybody, I, I think this is um, this is a disruption on a scale that I think, like, we won't be able to Really wrap our minds around right now, um, I, I just want to speak to what I know, which is um, the church growth, attractional evangelism versus discipleship, those terms. Um, I think um, often evangelism is pitted against um, discipleship, and um, I, think, I think we kind of understand how that works, but I think what's really the issue is attractional and a certain way of doing church that is considered evangelism, which I think is just a very, very small fraction of evangelism. Um, The idea that church should be um, really driven by a a single hour uh, on on, on Sunday from a stage um, and and someone preaching and speaking who has the charisma to be able to handle something like that uh, really is shooting ourselves in the foot, and it's not biblical, and it's actually quite bizarre uh, if you think about it. And um, so for me, um, all of our church planting efforts come out of evangelism and the ability to do personal evangelism. Uh, I, I, I often find that that same person is actually quite able to uh, disciple because discipleship and evangelism is just such a continuum. You know, you're inviting people into your home and you're, 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 you're getting to know them. And once they become Christian, you just do life together. And um, I remember going to seminary um, and toward the end of seminary, there was a a class on uh, like how to candidate and resume and do you include your picture or your family's picture or not? And I was shocked. I I thought, why would you apply for a job? Is that how this works? Um, Like, why don't you have your own flock? Why why don't you have a bunch of people you're discipling right now? If you are going to, graduate seminary and hold yourself out as um, a Christian minister, like shouldn't you have a whole bunch of people you're like, who are just around you. Like you're going to actually write a resume and start applying for a job. And, and that was a shock to me that everybody thought that that was perfectly normal. So I think that, um, you know, COVID or no COVID, like we've got to get back to that um, to just, um, separating out like the big stage person who can, who can, um, you know, enthrall a crowd, and and really value some other things that are a lot more, I guess, oriented toward. And I would say evangelism and discipleship.
1: Uh, Tammy, can I can I just throw that same question to you? Because you look at um, um, Ed is looking at a a hearty. Faith-filled, uh, faith-walking church that is doing incredible things. You're looking out across a nation and seeing everything that's going on. And um, what would you say about the moment that we're in? And and if we persist in our old idea, what what's our future look like?
2: Jeff, I think this is one of the most defining moments that the church has experienced, frankly, in hundreds of years. I really believe it's that level and i i don 't know that we have a reality check yet. I, I know most of our pastors are the very thing you said. They just want to get back to normal we 've heard it over and over again. We just can 't wait to get back to normal. And I've tried to gently say, what are you defining as normal? Because I don't think that exists any longer. I I frankly believe that this difficult time is actually one of the greatest grace gifts that God has given the church in a very long time in North America. Because I believe he's pulling back the curtains For us to see the reality, two things. One, our view of the church, and and I will just say our mistaken view of the church. Mm. And secondly, the character of our own lives. Mm. So before I think about making disciples, I'm looking inward to say, what kind of disciple am I? Mm. What's coming out of me? As a result of this pressure that we're in right now. And I think the church in America is getting a kind of an x ray on our own discipleship, and how what's coming out of us, in character and attitude and spirituality and, and just how we're thinking about the life that we're in, rather than uh, seeing all the stress. And I see a lot of behavior out of much of the church that looks like everybody else. And I'm one that believes at this moment, the fruit of the spirit should be ripe on the trees and it should be overflowing where the world is stressed out that we're a people of peace. Mm -hmm. We're people of love and joy and hope and gentleness and meekness and faithfulness and self-control. That to me is the greatest witness in this era that we could ever have.
1: I think you're mistaken, Tammy. I think our call is to the great conspiracies, right? we're <laughs> supposed to. We're supposed to move on no towards. comment,
0: Jeff. <laughs> Man, I love, I love what you guys are saying because, you know, the thing about you know these disruption spaces, liminal, liminal is a fancy word for disruption spaces, is that it's an it it actually has to be an identity reform reformation our identity has to change in order to get out of it. And if we don't do that, if we go back to the normal, that's as a psychologist, that's how trauma is created. It's that we don't embrace and we don't move forward in what God is trying to do to recreate us. And so, um, uh, Ed, I'll kick this to you, as you're looking out across um, the people that you're working with and and you're um, embracing that identity reformation, um, as a church, you know, what are, what are some of the advantages and the benefits of raising up your own leaders? What do you, what have you found to be some of that fruit, um, that Tammy is praying and we all are praying that the church would have?
3: Um, I think the advantage of raising, um, well, the advantage of discipling people, not as a program of your church, but, um, really making apostle Paul our role model like seriously, uh, means that that church planting and 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 beyond the adventure of church planting, the daring and the steps of faith required for church planting um, is is just part of our vision and and just just part of the path. And and so, when you're discipling people, in order to Um, appease them because like, Oh, I, I, am not getting fed or whatever. And so discipleship is like, I don't know, harder material that that you work through and, and things like that. So often discipleship like collapses into some kind of curriculum. Um, Whereas if, if um, like I I can do it, why can't you, we're all going to do this together. And um, so, I mean, I think we got to really question the whole idea of calling because we, we, developed this weird idea that I just don't see in the New Testament. I really don't. Um, and um, all the instances, like mo- I read a book, most of the instances of the we calling is, is salvation, you know, calling out of darkness into light kind of thing. And we have this thing of calling and it, it, it gives clergy, ordained clergy special like mystique. And then it, it really turns uh, lay people into spiritual infants. And we sort of all conspire that that's going to be like normal and um, we we just we, we, like because that wasn't my experience, um, we don't have laity and clergy divide at all. And um, and so, OK, so you're a disciple like you're going to go plant a church or you're going to be a part of a church planting team because look around like what else are you going to do with your life? And the other quarrel that I have then is and i know i'm gonna ruffle feathers here but you know like at least that makes it exciting right jeff so i'm gonna i'm gonna be controversial not not to not to be a provocateur or anything but uh, this whole idea of glorifying god with your work i think is just we really just um i i just really have a problem with that because um you know I, i i i've had a guy tell me like you know pastor ed when i'm you know he's a chemist and when i'm unlocking the mysteries of god's creation in my lab you know i'm glorifying god as much as you are when you're preaching and i said well yeah of course like you can chew food to the glory of god right um because and you can really like get into it too like oh the enzymes that get released or whatever it's not wonderful that we repair our body through food and we glorify god well that's creational we're we're in a fallen world and um I, I just can't get over the priority here uh, is is got to be a soul winning. It's got to be saving souls, and um, and I think um, this whole teaching about like yeah you know the 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 sweeper uh, at his broom and the priest at his I forgot how the quote goes from Martin Luther that's quoted a lot or in my generation Eric Little you know when I run I feel his pleasure well he was a missionary you know he went to the mission so I think that whole teaching about career. And I get that because pastors are looking at a whole bunch of people that they're not deploying because they're there to watch them do the, do the thing. And so they need to tell them something. And so like, yeah, well, you glorify God at your job. I think it's a cop-out um, no, we're gonna all, all we're gonna all save souls. Well, if we're all gonna save souls, then how come you get to hog the the auditorium and how come we need to big build big auditoriums? When am I gonna get in the game, right? And then and then it's calling. Oh, but you're not called, you gotta get ordained. You, you gotta go to cemetery, seminary, and and you know, like your 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 faith dies as you're thinking about authorship of whatever, it's totally useless things, and seminaries try to become. I'm sorry, I'm going off on several of my favorite rants right now, but it's I, just an outrage. I think there, there there is no requirement like that. You're a Christian. You should reproduce other Christians, and if you do that enough, you're going to be a church. And there you are. Just you've just planted a church. So I forgot what the question was now. But anyway,
1: the question <laughs> was, do you believe that people are called to preach? No, it wasn't <laughs> that thought,
3: <wasn't> it? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, th- th- this is how I preach. I go on on different rants. So. <laughs>
0: So it was, yeah, it was just about what are the advantages and the benefits. And I love what I love about what you're bringing up is as a, as a person with an education history, understanding and looking at what the industrial revolution um, has done to the way that we make disciples. And that you know, we wanted to, in the twenties, we wanted to normalize everything. That was the cultural value to be normal. And we created schools so that everyone could get a basic education in order to be a factory worker for the Industrial Revolution. Um, And it was actually extremely, you know, kind of flat, right? To be normal, there was this one standard that we all meet. And then that was um, influenced by some people who came over from England and believed in the class system. And so they added the class system to normalizing and that's how we get grades. And so, you know, now you're better than normal people. You're above average people. It becomes the value, not average. So, so average, above average becomes the value, but we've spiritualized all of this and that we want to make Jesus copies, widgets, and then we spiritualize the A plus students or the A students by calling them called. And so this entire idea of how we, how we learn and how we educate um, coming out of the industrial revolution, completely impacting at a language and philosophical level discipleship Now, Tammy, you have a way that you express this that I really want you to share because I think it's brilliant. Um, But you have you have a paradigm and and a way to think about language in disciple making that will maybe help us um, see how blind we really are.
2: Well, my research has been cultivating a people centric growth culture in the Foursquare Church. And for all the reasons we've been talking about, this became my area of interest. And one of my biggest passions is what I call womb to tomb growth. Uh, I believe from womb to tomb, we are to be disciple. If you wanna know where should we be recruiting right now, it should be in your children's ministry. For real. Come I mean, on, if come you on. Really girl. believe this, then we should be making disciples in our children, youth, young adults with the expectation, Ed, that we're going to send them out as church planters. Uh, I see churches who have this disconnect between children's ministry and leadership training. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is whole life. I think your senior adults who retired are your best church planters. And there's all kinds of people groups that they can reach. But we've had a mentality of a certain age group and a certain demographic with a certain calling in that are the church planters. And I, I just, am not sure where we get that mentality. So I believe that growth is holistic. I believe it's the maturing disciple. Uh, language I've heard is that spiritual leaders are maturing disciples with a kingdom focus. And maturing is simply looking more like Christ, and he is our prototype. And from womb to tomb, the goal is for me to become like Christ. Because the more I look like him, the more the world gets an accurate representation of who he is. And that's the core reason we make disciples. I'm convinced of that. And the more you make disciples, well, you organize them and they become a church. And then you make more disciples and then they're sent out and you organize them and they become a church. This is actually the missiology of Foursquare Missions International that began decades ago, that we believed in indigenous empowerment around the world. And so now the global church of Foursquare is far larger than the U.S. church Mm -hmm. because of this mentality of just making disciples, developing leaders. They plant churches, then you send, the church becomes a sending church and you keep sending out. Some of the problem now is even those that we do raise up within, we hoard within. And we just get bigger instead of having that sending mentality. So Jesse, I don't know if that's what you had in mind, but the womb to tomb disciple making, that is the end in mind.
1: Tammy, you know, I grew up um, um, before the influence of the church growth movement really, really inculcated in in the culture of the evangelical thinking. Um, The SBC group that I came in with had a, a discipleship process that was about missions, and it was, and it started with little preschoolers and it was kind of a an age graded thing that you just sort of grew up and it became part of everything and, and until high school even and that soon became you know uh, such an uncool idea when when we we're looking for the other rock star right so it became a whole but you're right I mean I think we're now reaping the fruit uh, that 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 denomination SBC grew like crazy um through a a very organic style of church planting where, um, where they'd have a missions team. They'd look at a community, say, how do we get a church in this community? You know, and they begin to go and they'd bring their people over there, hold a Bible study, you know, traditional kind of ways of church planting and, um, start to reach some people and then end up being a church there. Uh, that, that, that whole idea has long gone as with the idea that you, you shared of looking at the, the children in the church as potential for, um, for the movement that God's going to do. One of the things that, that bugs me a little bit is for those of us, and I think all of us here um, are interested in this conversation because we've done our best to try to live this thing. And, um, and when I hear somebody say to me, um, when you give God your best, uh, God always gives you better back to me. All all that tells me is that person's never done it before. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, <laughs> because <laughs> Every time, in my experience, when, when I give God my best, um, I get someone back, but it's someone I have to develop again. And, and you start working, working, working. And, and there is a price to pay and a painful price to pay. So it's just not all Pollyanna that you it's, – it's hard to send um, because you love the people you're sending and you're no longer in that kind of relationship. So, Ed, you've been, you know, living this for 30 years um you just before we were you know on today you were telling even a very personal example of that How, what is the price you pay that's not romantic that uh is part of a, a, a disciple making and sending culture
3: um well i i think um the the sadness i i, th- I we you know we say like man if if you don't cry when, you're, when when you think about leaving, then you're not ready to leave yet, um, and um, yeah, I mean, our farewells are like uh, you know, so there's that, I think um, Southwest Airlines and technology has eased the pain of that a lot for sure, but um, and then um, and then just a, just a difficulty of recovering um, after people leave because um, we we really don't want to say oh but you're needed here so you can't go um when we do our church planting signups people sign up and they um you know and we we just want to be able to send them and it just didn't seem right to us to say oh we need you back here so and, and those are the most eager ones, and so uh, the and we're a very relational church so the relational disruption uh, from the perspective of people who've opened up uh, you know to to uh, somebody and they're all gone and they need they need to start some of those uh, intimate relationships again it's hard all around and just from uh, the sending church's perspective uh, we do lose out um, in terms of uh, I mean, not just the people who leave, but then people who will leave the church because of those people who left, because these are people we're developing relationships with. You know, they're they're people who aren't believers, who aren't members, who we're cultivating. And and when they go, it's hard to pick up those relationships again. And so um, we've suffered uh, plateauing and declining uh, in our ascending churches as a result of sending.
1: And Ed's not going to say this, so I'm just going to. So Ed asked me five years ago to speak at a staff thing, and, um, and, and I think at the end of that, he asked me to give a call towards going to, the, I think it was the Northeast at that time, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, 450 families, units um, signed up to leave to go. And they interviewed those 450 and um, found the 150 best and sent them. Um, and that, to me, blew my mind when I got to see that and experience that. But what's going on? What happened this year, Ed?
3: Um, well, we're feeling that um, with the with COVID, I think people are. Um, I mean, people are anxious, and I think our, our institutions have been humbled, and we're looking forward to a great. Um, opportunity for, for evangelism and revival. So 2021 is going to be a even a bigger year than 2017 was. 2017, we uh, started seven uh, new work in five cities along the East Coast from um, from New Jersey down to North Carolina. Uh, this time, we're going to do a Midwest. So we're going to hit some of the Big Ten schools, uh, Urbana-Champaign and Purdue and yuma Arbor. And then um, and then Boston and Philly uh, in, in some of the Ivy Leagues and um, I mean this is kind of crazy but we had 1100 people sign up to go which is why we're in Boston because I wasn't we're, like we, we, did, we, could, we, did, we didn't have Boston on the map uh, it's just you know a little too far and and uh, we, we were, we've been working hard since November trying to configure the teams and, and get them placed and um, I think we're going to be able to send out realistically something like 350 to 400 people um, to uh, Madison, New Arbor, UIUC, Purdue, and then um, Philly and Boston. Boston's great because there's so many schools
1: here. So. And one of those 350 is who?
3: Yes, <laughs> is my son. Uh, and I don't care about my son. He should go. But my grandson, Malachi, <laughs> oh my gosh, he's just the love of my life. And man, I was not prepared for how much. Right. So I said, man, I broke a lot of grandparents' hearts in, in when we sent out teams. So, uh, you know, we deserve it. So I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm not going to feel sorry for myself. But yes, yeah, so my, no. my son's been on deck to go out and then he got interrupted because of COVID. So he's going to be probably a brown um, we're thinking awesome yeah
0: you know i think one one of the things that you're that you're talking about um is this this idea of being sent out in community from community and into community and i if i'm thinking about organizations you know church planting um just training centers the the recruiting free agents um there's not a lot of community that's already in that. There's not a lot of community that already exists there. So it seems easier because you're already being transactional to continue being transactional and, and send people out that way so that it, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't, it doesn't cost. And, and I think that there's a magic there that, that you're um, uh, revealing that the community actually sends and that you're, you know, and that that is not a, a distractor. We don't have to hold those two things in, in conflict, you know. So the community wanting to gather, um, being in a natural tension with a community that wants to send because we just can't handle the pain of the loss. And I know many pastors that it's extremely hurtful when somebody moves, um, let alone that they, you know, they raise someone up and send them out. And so, um I think that idea of parenting and children is just huge for what we need to think about as as Tammy says that we need to take our industrial and our mechanistic mechanistic language out of the way that we think about this mm-hmm. and make it more of a family-based organic you know natural growth system um, language. So this idea of raising up sons and daughters and sending them out um, and knowing that just like when your children move away and take your grandchildren, that yes, that's going to happen. And yes, that's how it's supposed to be. And yes, it hurts because we love and it should hurt because we did love. Um,
3: yeah. And, and you know, speaking to what Tammy said earlier about the leadership language um, that's really fascinating. It didn't occur to me, but after you said it, yeah, like we didn't use expressions like leaders, did we? But um, I um, I say I say this a lot to the to the shock of other people. But our leaders don't have leadership qualities, um, <laughs> so what what they have is they're, they're a family, and so when they when we send out teams, they go out with people that they've already loved and discipled, and so um, so you know whether they manage to grow or not. Uh, I just know they're going to be happy. If they're together, they're going to be happy. And if they're happy, loving the Lord and loving each other, that's got to be attractive to people. And, and that's our main thing. You know, we don't pick and choose between giftings and, oh, we need a good musician and we need somebody who's very operational. Um, we just think that it's, it's better. It's like Elrond says in Lord of the Rings in the Council of Elrond.
1: You oh, know, I thought you were gonna do Elrond Hubbard. I'm sorry, I'm glad, <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> glad you clarified there.
3: Elrond, half Elvin. Okay, you, you, you have to read Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Uh, he, he says, it, in 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 matters such as these, we should trust to friendship, you know, because other people want to send some awesome elf lords and things like that, and, and Elrond says, no, let's let's send these silly guys who love each other like Mary and Pippin. And, Um, Yeah, that's sort of our heart. As long as they love each other and and they're a family together, then we can send them anywhere, Uh, they'll be fine. And in fact, I think that's what the world hungers for, Mm -hmm. to see genuine community.
1: And opposing that is, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time on the leadership idea and we've we've created um, and developed leaders outside of a community that can work on the character of that leader. So they're above the above the community with nobody working on their character, mm-hmm. and the uh, the fallout that we're all we all get to reap because of that is devastating, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a real passion for me, Jeff, because I <clears throat> I believe that no one grows outside of relationship, and so an isolated leader is that's just it's a disaster in the making. Uh, because none of us grow outside of relationship, we need that. I, I use a, a three-prong approach that we have to have a growth mindset that increases new knowledge because that's what keeps us learning new things and grow. You can't grow without new mindsets. Uh, but the key to that is intentional relationships. If you don't have people that you're processing that information with, then it's just theory. And we all met a lot of theorists and a lot of church planners that are theorists but they don't have the relationship that iron sharpens iron that really processes that. And then you put that into practical experience where you have to prove what your theory is and how it works. And you reflect that back with community. To me, that's church planting is just beautifully wrapped up in a community that can do that together. Cause that's really what it's all about. My husband and I were of those that sent out, you know, we were sent out with some money and a warm hug moved halfway across the country with two kids and a dog to plant a church. And it was so very difficult and experienced that. But once we built that community, then began to send out of that and went to plant another one. It's the joy when you do it with a group of people, it's an adventure and you already have those deep relationships that carry each other. And honestly, I don't think we're doing our free agents any favors by recruiting them and sending them with that mentality. I don't think it's healthy for them nor their families. Uh, I don't think it's healthy for a community that we send them into. What Ed's talking about this model, this is so, so right on because it is that New Testament multiplication that we see in relationship, in the body of Christ. And Ed, I love the fact that you talk about calling Uh, Because I've studied and discovered there's three callings. I'm called to be his child, I'm called to be his servant, and I'm called to suffer with him. That's what the scripture says. Everything else, I'm on assignment as the member of body of Christ and the way that I've been designed to fulfill my part, a necessary part, just like all of us are, in the body of Christ. And Jesus is the leader and Lord of the church. The rest of us are in his body all connected together to show the world what he looks like. So I love your mentality about that.
0: So we have a question from the audience that I want to kick to you guys. Do you have a favorite uh, simple reproducible disciple making strategy that that either you use or recommend? I mean, I think about Neil Cole's Seven Signs of John um, and then life discovery groups and things like that. Do you, I I just want to kick this to both of you, do you have anything um, that people who are listening and are like, okay, womb to tomb, here we go, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) Do you have any recommendations? Tammy, I'll have you go first and then Ed. Okay. Well, I gave you my three
2: pronged approach, uh, Jesse, which you know it well. And, and I do believe you have to look within your organization for how you embed those practices in there. Uh, and then the basics for me is it's just like a family, it's based on the age of the child and what they can cognitively and emotionally deal with. Uh, I think you have to have a unique approach just like Jesus did. And that three-pronged approach, actually, I took from him. So he's constantly teaching. We see it everywhere. And he's debriefing with his disciples. Then we see he walks with them. He actually lives with them for three and a half years, so they do life together. And then he either sends them or he takes them on ministry assignment, and they debrief about it. Uh, We see this model over and over again. And yet, if you look at the uniqueness of each disciple that he called around him, they're so varied. Mm -hmm. And he dealt with each of them according to who they were and their station in life. And I personally, I don't like a cookie cutter approach to discipleship because I think everybody's at a different stage. They've been shaped and formed differently. And that's why it requires relationships. I mean, there are some basic things we all know that, you know, I take everybody to the gospel of John and Ephesians, because those are my two go-tos. But the reality is, it is a life-on-life process of growing character and the way they think and the way they live and practice and just being conformed to the image of Christ. So, to me, it's built on those three principles, but it really is unique to each person that you discover together in relationships
1: that's
0: great. Ed, how about you? What's your favorite? What are some um, of your
3: priorities? We have some books that we go through and, and things like that, like, you know, well-known books, but I don't think we have a, a, a set curricular or a method or like a, something that I say, hey, you, you need to go through this uh, material. One thing that we do is we do daily devotion um, uh, churchwide so that whenever we're together, we kind of know the text that we're all sort of working through. And so it's a, you know, it could be just, we'll we'll just go through um, the gospels and an old Testament book. And we used to use a, a plan out of a group in England called scripture union. And so everybody's on the same page about what scripture we're, we're doing our devotions on, you know, that day. And it's Monday through Friday. And that becomes a very regular part of our church life from children uh, all the way to, to the oldest of us. So that's one thing we do. The other thing is just um, very open home and open life. I think that is the uh, greatest context in which you can um, receive accountability as a leader, as well as uh, just um, the the intangible values and character, uh, scriptural values and character that you embody in your context.
1: And, and that Describe that just for a few minutes, because it's our minute, just describe what open home is, because it's revolutionary (laughs) and it it seems so much like, like.
3: Again, it's just it's it's kind of crazy to describe it now, but it started during college In college people's notions of personal space and personal property is kind of fluid. And, um, you know, if somebody hates their roommate, you know, they're crashing at your apartment for the entire semester or something like that. And so it sort of grew out of that. Um, we, we have open homes. Uh, so we have a, a lockbox, or nowadays it's, you know, those combos and people let themselves in. Um, I, I'll, I've, I've almost always lived with a bunch of guys, uh, in our house. So my kids call them uncles and, you know, and, um, and so we're in each other's homes all the time, and um, we live in, in very close proximity, which is not unusual in some parts of uh, North America, but, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a church uh, that, that people drive to from 30 minutes away is more often the case. And we live within blocks of each other so that our kids see us. Um, so we, we do child care, child rearing, and a lot of the tasks that when it lands on a couple in a nuclear family setting is really difficult to handle that as well as pour into uh, ministry, but because we do life together, then it's more fluid and, and people who have bandwidth sort of move in uh, to help people um, who are, who are more taxed with, with different things like childcare or even cleaning, we'll have home rescues or we'll go around and, 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 do deep cleaning in each other's homes. And when somebody needs to move, you know, um, we're, we're, we're moved and settled and all the frames are hung up and uh, all the shelf liners are in place within a day because it's this collective enterprise. So, um, so it's not just open homes, but our lives are very, very porous Mm. like that. And I think part of it is because we also are Asian in our origin. And so I think uh, Western individualism is the scourge of the Western church. And every time English speakers read the word you, they think it's just me and it's like y'all, you know. <laughs> so, um, But, yeah. you know, Ed,
1: one of the things that, that I, one of the most beautiful seasons for me when church planting was in those earliest days when we were doing the hippie commune thing. And yeah. um, when we were numbers of families living in the same house because we had no way to do it, you know, and uh, and, and, you know, I, I got a picture of what you have described there just in my memory, like flashback, like, yeah, we're doing this. But, but we saw that as something to get out of, not as something to um, endure. And, uh, and I think I would do that differently now just by watching what you um, what you did. Let me just throw one. We're almost out of time here. So uh, I'll, I'll pitch this to both of you. One last question. And that is, um, if you, this is a, a varied audience you have here, and there's, there's people live, and there's going to be lots of people to watch this in uh, the months to come. You um, have one thing on this idea of the difference between drafting uh, free agents and developing disciple makers. What, what's just this last thing you just got to say that is, you know, if you could only say the one thing, it's this. Tammy, why don't you just go ahead and shoot?
2: I believe with all my heart, Jeff, that Jesus meant it when he said, I will build my church. You go make disciples. And I think he meant business when he put that order in place. And I think we've tried to reverse roles with him for a number of decades now. And I think in his goodness, he's saying enough. We need disciples, and I'm not going to do that for you. That's the role of the church and all the ways that we've talked about today. And he will build his church, and we need to back out of that
1: role
3: and let him do that.
1: Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you, Tammy. Ed?
3: Oh, man. Um, gosh, I uh, just to be as specific as possible, I would say um, to, to men who preach um, – just prepare your message one day max. And just, man, if you're spending 25 hours on your message prep, you're not going to be able to open your home. Everybody's going to be a nuisance. So I guess that's, that's just one specific thing because if you want to open up your life and be interruptible, you can't stress out too much about that one hour on Sunday.
1: Mm, That's great. Well, I want to, I mean, Jess and I both want to thank you both for, um, opening your lives up and sharing sharing a lot of personal things from your own experience and uh, and uh, I think this is a subject that I've rolled around in a lot and and you've highlighted things for me that were really really important so thank you and Jesse um, why don't you just kind of help us know where we're going in the weeks to come because we have four more weeks that we're looking at the uh, future of the church, which is its past. <laughs> and, um, and why don't you kind of help us see where we're going the next four weeks?
0: Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I just want to echo the thanks uh, for for being here. Um, we've in two weeks, so we're every other week in two weeks, we're going to look at a co-vocational, bi-vocational conversation. Um, we'll have Brad Briscoe and Hugh Halter there, uh, for that, we're going to then our fourth session, we're going to look at our fluency, like how we talk and how we speak, uh, moving away from insider Christianese that others people to um, the language of the people. A little a little reformation uh, kind of conversation there with uh, Glenn Smith and D.A. Horton. Um, our session five, we're going to look at having a different fidelity. How do we know if we're doing the right thing and moving from doctrinal position to spiritual authority and we'll have Richard Blackaby here for that. And then um, our last session, session six, we'll be looking at a different future. So moving from underserved communities where we're kind of like colonizing these underserved communities, moving away from that mentality to overlapping gospel movements within a city. And we'll have Tommy Wilkerson from the underground and Onea Akwadabi from Movement Leaders Collective. So we want to just thank everybody for being here. You know, there's a there's going to be opportunities for roundtables um, during the week. And so um, if you uh, ha- want to be a host uh, church for that, um, just let uh, Brooks know here. Um, these webinars here, these are brought to you in combination between the SEND Network, Movement Leaders Collective, and Expo Exponential. So, um, yeah, those roundtable events are an opportunity for you to get more involved as well. So we will be here in two weeks looking at how we are people on mission in our everyday life, making disciples and, and breaking down that secular sacred divide even further. So thank you so much for being here and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.